plug or anything, but we are studying the book of John on Sunday nights. Good to see all of you here this morning. I'm glad that you've come. We're always excited to come to the Lord's house. At least I hope you are. Jay and I are. The rest of you, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Hopefully you've got your nap out. We're ready to open the Word of God and see what the Bible has for us this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, open them to the fourth chapter of the book of James. Been having a great time over the last few weeks. I have. I don't know whether you have or not, but been preaching through once again, kind of from a different perspective. Uh, the book of James uh, seems to be drawn back to this book several times through the course of the ministry that the Lord's given us. But James is fascinating in its uh, revelation of truth, and it just kind of ties together all the loose ends of what we believe and how we behave. And so we've been talking about this over the course of the summer. We've been kind of addressing it with the title, Fake Faith. So we're going to pick up tonight, or this morning, reading in James chapter 4 and verse number 13. And I'm going to ask you, if you would please, if you found the place, to stand with me in reverence to the Word of God as we read. I'll read along out loud. You can follow quietly there in your Bibles. The Bible says this, James chapter 4, verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow... We will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be witnessed against you, uh, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. We'll stop reading right there and go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, thank you so much for bringing us once again to your house. I thank you for the faithfulness of your people who are willing to come out in the summertime a warm day to worship you and to learn of you and to rejoice in the truths of your word. Now, Lord, I pray that they will not have come in vain this morning. We know that everyone is here that is here is here because you brought them here. Uh, we certainly don't believe in accident. We believe that this is by divine appointment. And I pray that none of us will go away from here without having been affected by what you brought us here to hear. Lord, I pray that your word would have its full effect in each one of us, that you would remove right now all resistance, all obstinacy, certainly all sin, Lord, that you would forgive us by the blood of Jesus Christ, that you would make us pure and clean, ready either to deliver your word or to receive it. And I pray that uh, you would do exactly what you want to do in our hearts and lives, that you would draw sinners to yourself, that they may be born again, or that you would draw your people to a closer walk with you, and that every one of us would be more effective in our daily witness and in our daily service. As your vessel, once again, as always, I pray for forgiveness of sins. I pray for a fullness of your spirit. And I pray that I will not do anything that would hinder what you want to do in your people this morning. Glorify yourself, I pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, folks. You can be seated. The passage that we've read this morning is known by many. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. There are two verses in particular. Verse number 14 of James chapter 4, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. 
And again in verse 17, where it says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. By the way, there are very few people that actually realize that those two verses occur in the same context. It's within just a couple of verses of one another. But these, for that reason, sometimes these verses, I believe, are taken out of context. They do have a great deal to do with the matter that we've been discussing over the last few weeks, that being namely fake faith. Now, the entire book of James has been dealing with those who essentially say one thing and do the opposite. They say that they are in Christ. They say that they know the Lord Jesus Christ. They say that they have faith, and yet their actions belie their words. We could call them those whose faith never makes it from their head to their heart. Or, in the case of some, from their mouth to their heart, right? We say that we have faith, but we haven't demonstrated it many times by that transformed life. Uh, However you would want to say it, these are the folks whose supposed faith is useless because it does nothing to change their lives and it does nothing to change their relationship with God. Today we're dealing with another of those indicators of fake or artificial faith. Many would divide this particular indicator into two distinct categories. I believe that this is done quite often because of the the chapter division here. Uh, the, the thought is actually one continuous thought going from chapter 4 into chapter 5, and we'll deal with that in just a moment. But a lot of people divide this into two separate categories. I believe, however, that there are actually two aspects of the same problem, if you want to classify it that way. The key is found, I believe, in verse 13 of James chapter 4, where the Bible says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Now we read that, and it seems kind of innocuous almost. It seems harmless as we approach it. But actually there's a lot of danger that is revealed to us in this particular verse. There's a boastful statement that's being made here that reveals a total lack of faith in God. Within the boastful statement, we find both a presumption on time and a presumption on wealth. I'd like to submit to you today that fake faith is a presumptuous faith. By that, I mean that it steps over the line from faith to foolishness. And instead of relying on the revealed promises of God, trusts rather in two things over which we have little or no control, which serve as very poor indicators of any kind of spiritual value. Those things are time that we have, as well as the money or wealth that we possess. We'll have to see how far we progress today, but I'd like to talk to you for a few moments about presumptuous faith, particularly with regard to time and wealth or money. I realize that those two constitute a most dangerous subject matter, according to many. Uh, One to be avoided at all costs, according to here, some tell it. But they are essential, and they are also a great part of the whole counsel of God, and so I bring it to you this morning talking to you about presumptuous faith as an indicator of fake faith, a faith that is somehow artificial, a faith that is not what all that it ought to be. Now, in some cases, I want to point out to you, in some cases, this faith is simply uh, what we would call insufficient. It doesn't fulfill or complete the work that God designed faith to accomplish in us. And in other cases, it is actually negligent so far to the fact that we are relying on one thing rather than relying on God and so it becomes dangerous to us. So this is a fake faith. Uh, apply it by, by little or by, by much. Uh, there are things that we need to deal with. Now, I told you that there are two specific areas in this particular passage. Go back to verse 13 again, the passage that we've read. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such city 
and will buy and continue there a year. Now, in that first part of the chapter, we actually, or the first part of this verse, excuse me, we actually see a presumption on time. And we'll deal with that first. And then as the Lord leads and gives us opportunity and time, we'll go into the second part. The second problem is the buying and selling and getting gain. That is a presumption on wealth and what it means to us from a perspective of faith. But first let's deal with faith and presumption from the standpoint or presumption upon time. A fake faith is a faith that presumes upon the time that God has given to us. How many of you, just as a matter of of interest, how many of you are planning on... All right, this is going to be shocking to some, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway. How many of you are planning on dying today? That's what I thought. None of us are planning on that, are we? All of us are expecting, pretty much, to live through the day. Actually, I could ask the same question about this week or this month or this year, right? And most of us, unless we happen to be facing a terminal illness or what have you, most of us would say, well, you know, that's not in my plans. That's not in my agenda book. Uh, it's not in my calendar. Uh, although we know that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. We know that the death is truly coming. And yet sometimes we, we step over the line when we're dealing with this time issue and we begin to presume upon the time that God has given us. I want you to understand that faith in God is not the same thing as faith in one's plans. We've mentioned over and over again through the course of this uh, sermon series uh, that a lot of people today have a very nebulous faith. Uh, You'll listen to the athletes and even sometimes the movie stars or entertainers, and all of them talk about faith. And I just kind of want to scream sometime at the radio or the television or whoever it is, whatever it is that's portraying it, and I'm thinking, faith in whom? Right? You have faith in what? Because you understand there are some things that are not worthy of our faith. And yet God is always worthy of our faith. I submit to you this morning that one of the things that is not worthy of your faith is your own plans. Now that may be shocking to some of you. It may be difficult for some of you to follow it. And please don't jump to any conclusions. Don't go out of here this morning and say preachers telling us not to make any plans. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is trusting in those plans as if they were, in fact, God. Go with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9. It's here on the screen. If you don't have it in your Bibles, the Bible says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. You know what that means, essentially? You can make all the plans that you want, but God's the one that lays things out for you. Right? Your steps are ordered by the Lord. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21 There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. (laughs) I got some bad news for some of you. If your plans are contrary to God's plans, guess whose plans win? Right? The counsel of God, that shall stand. We rest in God. We trust. Now listen, we are called by the name of the Lord. Those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, those, who have those of us who have recognized our need of a Savior, recognize that that need is supplied in Jesus Christ by his death on the cross, by his resurrection from the dead, we understand that we belong to him and that he is, uh, he is the, the, the Lord of our life that he has the right to direct and govern every decision that we make. And yet so many times we step out of that position of faith or trust and go back to relying on our faith in our own plans, our own ability to bring those things about. You want to, you, listen, a lot of us, any of you ever deal, uh, let me ask it to you this way. Any of you deal with any frustration this week? Come on, be honest. I'm not the only one. Deal with any frustration this week? Can I tell you a secret? 
Most of the time, frustration comes about because of an inability to bring about my own plans. There's something standing in the way. There's something hindering so that I can't bring those things to pass. You know what? It is a tremendously freeing concept when I understand that it is the Lord who directs my steps. Now, God, uh, God expects us to make some plans. Somebody once said we ought to plan as if the Lord wouldn't come for many years and yet work as if he were coming tomorrow. I certainly believe that. But the truth of the matter is that God is the one who ought to direct our steps. Proverbs 20 and verse 24, the Bible says, Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man understand, uh, then understand his own way? <laughs> you know what the, the writer of the Proverbs is saying there? You just think you know where you're going. Only God really does. Right? God is the one who knows the end from the beginning. He knows what is on the morrow. Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Now, these are just a few of the places. There are many places in the Scripture where God, in essence, tells us that it's an exercise of futility to overplan your life. If you're a child of God, if you belong to him, then God says you're supposed to trust in God, that you're supposed to allow that leadership of the Lord uh, to, uh, to direct your steps. Now, that doesn't mean you're supposed to live your life in a haphazard fashion. What it means is that all of your plans are directly dependent upon your trust, your dependence on God. But having said that, we move on. We understand that faith in one's plans is deceiving because, first of all, life itself is fleeting and uncertain. You know why it's, uh, why it's always a dangerous and frustrating thing to make too many plans? Because you don't know what's on the morrow. Isn't that what James says? James chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow... For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. How many of you knew that that verse was given to you in this context? God says, don't say, I'm going to go into such a city. I'm going to buy and sell. I'm going to get gain. I'm going to be there for a year. These are my plans. I've got it all lined out uh, for many years. God says, don't say that because you don't know what's on the morrow. Your life is a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. To those who are young amongst us, I would warn you that right now it seems like your life stretches before you almost endlessly. But in a minute, you're going to turn around and be my age with white hair and all that bit, right? <laughs> or, even, or even beyond. Uh, the point is that life is fleeting. It's a vapor that appears for a little time, and we have no guarantee of tomorrow. Uh, because of that, Job, out of frustration, in Job chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, said, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. And are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eyes shall see no more good. Uh, two references or uh, 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 analogies that Job makes in this particular passage. He talks about his days or his time being swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Now, we don't have a whole lot of uh, understanding of that these days because we're living in the mechanized age when people don't use the, the weaver's shuttle uh, to weave things. But if you've ever been in a textile factory, you can get an idea as to how quickly that stuff moves, right? It's faster than I can keep track of. But he said it's like a weaver's shuttle, and then he said my life's like wind. It just, it is gone, right? I'm amazed at how many different analogies the Scripture uses to try to communicate to us the understanding that our life is fleeting, that we don't have a whole lot of time. He talked about a vapor in James chapter 4. He talks about a weaver's shuttle and wind in Job chapter 7. Psalm 39, verse 5, Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth. 
and my age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity, Selah. Now, he said, my, my days are as a hand breath. Now, what's he talking about there? A lot of us would like to think of our lives as being this long, right? This is the beginning, this is the end, and I've got all this space in the middle. Job says, nope, that's not right. Your life is about that wide. Or maybe that wide, <laughs> depending on your perspective. It's not very long. Uh, another analogy, just kind of illustrating for us the, the brevity of life, the fleetingness of the time that we have. Psalm 90, verses 5 and 6, Thou carriest them away as with the flood, they are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up, in the evening it's cut down and withereth. Again, two analogies that are made in Psalm 90 regarding our life, the time that we have here on earth. First of all, he said it's like a sleep. Now, it's not so much true anymore as it used to be when I was a kid. But I remember when I was a kid, uh, they put me to bed at night. I'd go to sleep when I finally did go to sleep. I'd go to sleep, and the next thing I know, it's morning, right? And it's like, wow, that was quick. We had to do this more often, right? Uh, uh, nowadays, sometimes I have a little bit more trouble than that. Uh, some of you will understand it. Uh, but he said it's like a sleep. It's a, you close your eyes, and then you open them up, and it, all this eight hours has passed, and it just seems like a moment to you. And then he goes on and he says it's like grass that grows up and it burns up and then it's gone. Right? So over and over again, the Bible uses these analogies to tell us how fleeting is our life. First Peter 1 and verse 24, for all flesh is as grass, the glory of man is the flower of the grass, the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, as if being grass wasn't bad enough. Now he's comparing us to the flower of the grass that's there even a shorter time than the grass itself is. Right? And he says, it's just, there it is, and then it's gone. The whole point being that for us to make plans and to depend or have faith in our ability to bring those plans about is foolishness because we don't know how long this life is. And life by its very nature is fleeting and uncertain. Beyond that, it's foolish because only God knows what's in the future. Proverbs 27 and verse 1, the Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a bad day may bring forth. I've told you before, God is the one who inhabiteth eternity. In fact, Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there's none else. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. God says, I'm telling you the future as if it were the past. I'm telling you the end as if it were the beginning. I've been there, I've seen it all, I know what the answer is. And God knows what the future holds. If you go on uh, to Isaiah 57 and verse 15, he says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. I love that concept. God isn't limited to time. He doesn't dwell within the, within the, the constraints of the clock like we do. He's not going to be hungry at noon like you are, right? God, God is completely free of those restraints. He lives in the past, present, future all at the same time. He inhabiteth eternity. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. The point that I'm trying to make to you here, folks, is that it's foolish to rely too heavily on your own plans because only God really knows the future. You can make some plans, tentative plans. You can say, well, I hope this happens, or I hope that happens, or according to the will of God, this may happen. But you certainly can't say, I know without a doubt that I'm going to wake up tomorrow. 
You don't have that ability, but God does. Now, faith in God, on the other hand, means that I am resting in God alone for each day's purpose, for each day's provision, and for each day's activity. Meaning, God knows what I am about today and why. And he is the one who has the right to direct those things. Go back to me, with me to James chapter 3, and, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 15. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Now, this is more than just a statement. This is more than just a, a, a flippant little a colloquialism that we toss out there when we're making our plans. Uh, sometimes we allow it to become that. Uh, I know it was frequently done when we were there in Mexico. People would say, well, I'm going to do this tomorrow if the Lord wills. And it becomes so rote, so habitual, they didn't even listen to what they were saying. They were going to do that regardless, right? <laughs> or that was what they thought. Uh, and sometimes they become very bent out of shape when they didn't get to do what they planned, just like we do. But the point here is that God is the one who directs my purpose. He is the one who directs the activities of every day. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 37 says, Who is he that saith and it cometh to pass? When the Lord commandeth it not. You try to overrule, overrule the authority of God in your life, I can guarantee you it will never happen. Can't do it. So it's foolishness to have too much faith in our own plans. It's rather, uh, rather our faith ought to be placed in the one who inhabiteth eternity. That means that all my planning is done only according to the will of God. And that when I make plans, I do it with this in mind. Is this what God wants me to do with his time? By the way, have I talked to you recently about the principles of stewardship? Do you understand that you're not your own? You're bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God has given us a responsibility to glorify him with everything that we are, including our time. Romans chapter 1, verse 10, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. This is the Apostle Paul writing inspired scripture. Holy Spirit is giving him this. And yet in writing to the Romans, he says, I'm planning on coming to visit you, but only by the will of God. Right? So he's limiting his plans to what God would lead. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 3, again, and this we will do if God permit. What I'm trying to tell you is that seeking God's will before undertaking the plan is always a good, uh, a good recommendation. That's, that's a demonstration of true faith in God. But also seeking the will of God while the plan is being carried out. You know what's more difficult sometimes for us than even consulting God in the making of our plan? Now, let me, let me tell you how we usually do it, okay? We usually have two options before us. This is, these are the, the directions that I can go. And if you're like me, sometimes, uh, you know, your, your mind is very analytical. You have a tendency to think in outlines or what have you. And so you sit down and you write it down on a piece of paper. Sometimes you just chart it out in your brain and say, okay, these are the points in favor. These are the points against. You go down through all of that. You come to a more or less conclusion and you say, okay, God, are you on board with this? Right? And in essence, we're saying, God, this is what I'm going to do. Will you bless me? Instead of saying at the onset, at the beginning, before you start the list, before you do anything else, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What is your plan? What is your direction? You see the difference, folks, between faith in God and faith in my own plans based on the time that I presume that I have. If I rest in God, then he'll never lead me astray. 
means that God is allowed at any moment then to change my plans for any reason. Here's a, here, here's a top secret. Y'all don't tell anybody this because this is just between me and you, okay? Well, and God. God's the one that gave it to you. The secret to dealing with frustration is to let God be in charge of your plans. See, if I'm going along and I've got a plan and that plan gets changed, I'm going to be real honest with you, I get all bent out of shape. But if the plan's God's and God says we're not going there, we're going here, I say, okay, God, I'm just along for the ride. Now, listen, I'm not teaching complacency here. I'm not trying to encourage you to be apathetic. What I'm trying to encourage you to do is consult the one who has control of your life. Rest in him, not in the time that you have. Job 23, verse 10 says, But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job, now, by the way, Job was in the midst right here of the deepest part of his trial. Not only had all these bad things happened to him, but his supposed counselors were not helping matters a bit. They were telling him all the things that he had done wrong. And eventually, Job just kind of came to the conclusion where he said, You know what? God's in charge of all this. And when God is done, I'm going to come forth as gold tried by the fire. Job understood something that many New Testament believers do not understand. I'm talking to you about faith in God. Faith in God rather than plans. Faith in God rather rather than presumption upon time. Faith means resting in God alone for each day's purpose, provision, and activity. It also means believing in what God has done and is able to do. You know what? Even if I wanted to bring certain things to pass, it's beyond my ability to do so. All right, true confession time. Y'all don't tell because I'm fixing to bear my soul, okay? (laughs) As your pastor, as your preacher, there are some times that I would really dearly love to make you do what's right. You know, there, there are times that I pray, Lord... Teach me how to make them love you (laughs) until finally the Lord has to wake up, boy. That's not your job. That's mine. See, the point is that I can't control you. You can't control me. But we can rely on God so that he will do in us what his will is. And so he knows the way that I take. When he tries me, I come forth as gold. I believe what God has done. I believe in what God is able to do. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, the Bible says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Folks, listen. God has already done the most difficult thing, and I have to use that term advisedly because we understand that our omnipotent God has no limits. There's nothing that is impossible to him. The only limitations that God has are those which he's placed upon himself. But having said that, God has already done, at least from our perspective, the hardest thing that could be done in giving Jesus Christ to die for the sins of a rebellious generation. When we were unlovely, God loved us. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What makes you think that God now, that the hard part is done, is going to withhold from you 
some good thing. God tells us that he seeks our good. He pl- Listen, if you will give to God the planning of your life, I can guarantee you that it will go better than if you planned it yourself. Now, you may not always understand that at that moment. There are some times when your head's going to be spinning, and that's why Job said, when he hath tried me, I should come forth as gold. Right? There's sometimes that we're trying to figure it all out, but there's sometimes when you just have to say, Lord, I don't understand it. I can't figure it out, but I believe you. I trust you. I, I, I rest in your benevolence. I know that you're always good and that you've given me the promise that all things work together for good to them that love God. And, oh, by the way, I'm fully persuaded that you're able to bring that to pass. And so I let go of the frustration and I give it to the Lord. I give it to him. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, the Bible says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. God's not going to lose any of it. He's not going to forget any of it. He's got it all put aside. By the way, if you take control, I guarantee you, you're going to lose parts of it. Right? You're going to mislay it. You're going to do with, it, with, with your life what you do with your car keys. You know, you're going to leave them laying someplace where they ought not to be uh, because that's not your responsibility. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, the Bible said, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. I, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. <laughs> He's able to save them to the uttermost. He's able to do a complete job. That come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Faith means believing in what God has done and is able to do. Faith means believing that God can and will fulfill what he has promised. By the way, let me just take a pause here and say we have no authority to try to obligate God by simply uh, simply uttering some kind of magic word to do something that is contrary to his will or plan. Okay? God is sovereign. God is Lord. There are a lot of people today that are teaching, as long as you say certain things, as long as you pray in a certain way, you can get whatever you want. To which I would say, only if you want what Christ wants. You want anything else? You're asking a mist that you may consume it upon your lusts, and God says, you're not going to get those things. Think not, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Know what James said? And so the point being that we believe God can and will fulfill what he's promised, and I recognize that God ultimately is in control of my life, not me. So that's the first point, the first idea about faith. Faith in God is not the same thing as faith in your own plans. Secondly, I want you to understand that delaying spiritual decisions based on a presumption of another opportunity is always dangerous. Delaying spiritual decisions based on the presumption of another opportunity. That means... If you are lost and the Holy Spirit has convicted you of your need of a Savior, He's convinced you that you are a sinner, lost and undone, that the only hope for your eternal salvation, the only hope to escape God's just condemnation is the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, the power of His resurrection, His intercessory prayer for you there on the right hand of the throne of God. You recognize that, you understand that, and you trust in that. And yet there's something within you that says, not right now. Let's wait till next week. Not right now. Let's wait till at least till the evening service. Not right now. Let's wait until 
fill in the blank. What I'm trying to tell you is that postponing any spiritual decision, now we apply it to the decision of salvation, but it applies to every spiritual decision in your life. Let me try to put it to you as bluntly and as directly as I possibly can. If you, as a child of God, know what God's will is in a given situation, every moment you delay is a moment of disobedience. You're living in rebellion against God when you are not fulfilling that decision. You say, well, preacher, I'm planning to. Stop planning, start doing. See, you're trusting, you're presuming upon the time that you have. You're presuming that you're going to get it all worked out. Just rest, give it to God is what I'm trying to tell you. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you hear his voice. Verse 13 says, Be exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We understand that this delaying of spiritual decisions is especially dangerous when it comes to salvation because 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 the Bible says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We apply that. We understand that with regard to our salvation. But what I'm trying to tell you is that it applies to any step that you know is led by God. Go back to James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good. Oops. You didn't know that was in that context, did you? Well, maybe you did. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Have you committed your way to the Lord? Have you given him lordship authority in your life? Then why don't you do what he leads you to do? Why do you keep pushing it off and postponing it and saying one of these days? It's time to obey the Lord today. Luke chapter 12, verses 47 through 48 is a, is a parable given by our Lord that illustrates this precise point. The Bible says in Luke chapter 12, verse 47, that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit, such th commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required, and who, to whom men have committed much of him they will ask the more. In essence, God is saying you're going to be held responsible for the, for the, what, the, the light, the illumination, illumination, the understanding that you have. And you need to learn to respond to it when it's given. John 13, verse 17, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. What a coincidence. John 3, 17, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. John, uh, James 4, 17, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. <laughs> well... That's one of those things that God puts in there, I think, for us to find. One of those nuggets that we can dig out. If you do it, happy are ye. If you don't do it, you're living in sin. Delaying spiritual decisions is based on a presumption of your time is always a dangerous place to be. Now, let me real, really quickly conclude the message this morning because I told you there are two parts to this warning. The first one was uh, presumptuous faith. Uh, faith that presumes upon time. But I would say secondly, in, in conjunction with the idea that's already been given, actually, if you go back up to verse 13, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such a city and continue there a, yet, a year and buy and sell and get gain. Do you notice the motivation for the boasting that they're making, verse 13? We're going to go and we're going to buy and sell and get gain. 
It's a material motivation. So I'll present to you in closing this morning that fake faith presumes upon wealth. There are two primary presumptions or assumptions about wealth that I believe the Bible teaches us are presumptions. We're not going to go into them in great detail this morning, but I want to give them to you. The first one is fake faith assumes that wealth can provide your needs. Fake faith is that of that faith which assumes that if you've got enough money, you don't need God. Can I tell you that's a lie? In fact, if you trust in money to do what, for you what only God can do, do you understand that your money has become an idol to you? That you are worshiping and serving that rather than God? Many rest in wealth rather than believing in God. Luke 6:24, Woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Proverbs 11, verse 28, He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, But they which will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The problem is resting in wealth rather than believing God. There's nothing about wealth that's stable, much less eternal. The writer of Proverbs said uh, that riches make to themselves wings. They fly away. James chapter 1 verse 11 says, The sin of the sun no sooner risen than the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So is also the rich man uh, shall fade away in his ways. He says, you think you've got it all, uh, you got the world uh, by, by the tail because you've got money? Look outside at the grass. It's green today, but it's likely to be burned up tomorrow. Right? And he says, that's the way your wealth is. Only God can provide each day's need. Only God can safeguard eternity. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11, the prayer of the Lord is, give us this day our daily bread. Psalm 34 and verse 10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. The rich are exhorted in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, to weep and howl. You read that and you think, now why? They've got everything this world can offer. And therein lies the problem. It's what this world has to offer. It's not what God has to offer. The classic example is given to us in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. There are the two problems again, wealth and time. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, This thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Fake faith assumes that having faith or having wealth, and this is the second error we commit with our, with our finances. First one is we assume that, we can, that money can provide my needs. The second problem or the second assumption that leads to presumption with wealth is the assumption that uh, having wealth means I'm right with God. Now, folks, there, there's a whole sermon right there. But I want you to understand that a lot of the gospel that is being preached today based on the assumption that whoever has the gold makes the rules is not in the Bible. Did you know that the devil can give you stuff? 
if that's all it takes to turn you away from God. He offered it to our Lord Jesus Christ in his temptation. The devil has that power. So just because you've got money in the bank, just because you've got cars in the driveway, just because you've got a driveway, doesn't necessarily mean that you're living in the center of God's will. True faith is dependent all the time on God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, turn away. The points that I'm trying to make to you folks this morning is this. Fake faith assumes many guises. Part of the manifestation of fake faith, according to our passage this morning, is its presumption. The fact that we count on things that are not guaranteed. Part of that has to do with time, which composes the essence of our lives, and the other part of it has to do with the money, the sustenance, the material benefits of our lives. My encouragement to you this morning is give all of that to God. Rest in Him and Him alone. Trust the Lord to order your days. Trust the Lord to supply your need. Allow God to be, here's a concept, allow God to be God. Allow the Lord to be your Lord. I invite you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're missing the best part of life. And I would invite you to come and allow us to introduce you to Him. And not to put it off because you don't know that you'll have another opportunity. Christian, is the Lord dealing with you about something? Is there that niggling doubt, uncertainty, uneasiness in your heart because of something that you know needs to be turned over to God? Let me just remind you that it's not going to get better the longer you wait. It only gets better when you give it to God. Will you stand with me, please, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed? We're going to go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done in us today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that it has to change who we are, how we think, how we live our lives. I pray now that you would have your willing way in this invitation time, that we would respond in obedience in Jesus' name.